Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So uh, as anticipated, the uh, House Homeland Security Committee moved articles of impeachment against Homeland Security Secretary... Dr. Evil Ellie Mayorkas yesterday. Here's Mark Green, a Republican from Tennessee, the chairman of that committee, uh, rolling out the articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. Today is a grave day. We have not approached this day or this process lightly. Secretary Mayorkas's actions have forced our hand. We cannot allow this border crisis to continue. We cannot allow fentanyl to flood across our border, our criminals to waltz in undeterred. And we cannot allow a cabinet secretary with no regard for the separation of powers or the rule of law to remain in office. That is why today we present this committee with the articles of impeachment against Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Yeah, um, I hear what you're saying, uh, Mark Green and House Republicans. I I don't know. I'm of two minds on this Mayorkas impeachment. Uh, Half of it is uh, summed up in part in this Wall Street Journal editorial on the topic. Uh, The editorial board over the journal writes, as much as we share the frustration with the Biden border mess, impeaching Mayorkas won't change enforcement policy and is a bad precedent that will open the gates to more cabinet impeachments by both parties. Is it just a policy disagreement? I mean, I I understand the precedent setting nature of this, but I I would say that the uh, reckless use of impeachment against a former president by Democrats on the Hill is what has set the precedent for impeachment to be a, a weapon of first resort. And, and uh, is, 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 is it just a policy mess, a, a policy disagreement and lack of enforcement? First of all, I mean, uh, the, you know, in the, uh, the 20 page write up on the, uh, uh, the articles of impeachment, they go through lying to Congress, obstructing congressional oversight, so forth. But how about just Article 4, Section 4? You know, the Constitution. Remember that document? Uh, The same conversation we've had about Biden. So this uh, is Biden's mini-me, as it were, to continue my Austin Powers metaphor. And, And he is faithfully opening the borders, consistent with the policy of this administration, and inconsistent with the Article 4, Section 4 responsibilities of the federal government to protect the states. So that's one half of it. The other half of my brain, though, is this is easy. It's easy. I mean, it's so easy that even some Democrats have signed on to impeaching Mayorkas because they want to offer something to the constituents back home. I'm serious about border security. But it obviates what I think is the real responsibility of House Republicans. I mean, 
the entire Congress, but we know that the only conversation to have is about the choices that House Republicans have and the ones they make. And that is the responsibility I'm talking about that's obviated to exercise the power of the purse to stop everything. If it is what we say it is, if this, if we have an administration that is essentially acting as an accomplice to drug cartels and human traffickers and um, bad actors of all sorts, including suspected terrorists, if that's what this administration is doing, then everything stops. Rather than taking a scalp from Homeland Security, which you're not going to take, but acting in the direction of the Secretary of Homeland Security to say, look, we're serious about this. We're holding people accountable. We're going after we did what we could within our power to depose the Homeland uh, Security Secretary. And so then what would happen if he was removed? Biden would get a different stooge. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636-DA-turnkey.pro text line. I, so that's why I, I mean, I get it. And by the way, I mean, it's not just on the matter of border security. Um, Mayorkas uh, is certainly, but, but, but again, this is administration directive. He's just a functionary. I mean, the, the misinformation board they were trying to stand up in Homeland Security and you know, I think probably still in some form or fashion de facto is set up, you know, to enforce the new speak of the new Marxists. Uh, Speaker Johnson was asked about uh, not this specifically, but sort of the whole imbroglio and um, most specifically about the House Republicans opposition to what Langford and McConnell are attempting to go negotiate in the Senate. You know, surrender. I, I mean, I, despite we talked about the yesterday, despite what uh, Jim Langford, senator from Oklahoma, said over the weekend on Fox News Sunday, I, I'm just I just it doesn't make sense to me what he's trying to sell, that this is what they're negotiating is border enhancement, border security enhancement, because nobody on the other side appears to want that. And a little bit later in the show, we'll get to why. I've got a memo from uh, Cleta Mitchell, a well-regarded election attorney, one of Trump's election attorneys, on the matter of illegals voting, like in this election. So we'll get to that in terms of why this um, may be the posture of an administration that seems to be suffering politically for the open borders policy, but is going forward anyway with it. So back to House Speaker Mike Johnson. You know, it, it's 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 sort of what they're doing and what they're not doing. It's they're, they're focused on they're not doing, they're not going along with Senate Republicans, and that's good. And they're doing something in moving articles of impeachment on Mayorkas, and that's fine. I mean, it's not a hill to die on for me, so I'm fine with it, but it still bothers me because I think all hands uh, should be on deck. All chips should be put to the middle with respect to the power of the purse. That's the only thing that D.C. understands. 
And I, the problem, of course, that Speaker Johnson has is his caucus, and I, he doesn't have the votes for it. I understand that. But I think you continue to prosecute that case inside the caucus and to the public and just build the pressure. Because if there's one thing we know about most of these politicians is they are subject to pressure. Most of the politicians in office, this just in, are not people of principle. They are people of purpose, and their purpose is to get reelected. Thus, they are susceptible to pressure. Johnson on the Senate uh, immigration bill and whether or not he's, you know, just in service to Trump on it. Here's what he had to say. Uh, the former president has made it clear that he doesn't want you guys to move forward on this. And judging by his comments, he clearly wants to campaign on this issue. Have you spoken to him about the Senate proposal? And are you simply trying to kill this to help him on the campaign? No, Manu, that's absurd. We have a responsibility here to do our duty. Our duty is to do right by the American people, to protect the people. The first and most important job of the federal government is to protect its citizens. We're not doing that under President Biden. We, are, we have only a tiny, as you know, razor-thin, actually a one-vote majority right now in the House. Our, our majority is small. We only have it in one chamber, but we're trying to, to use every ounce of leverage that we have to make sure that this uh, issue is addressed. I have talked to, to former President Trump about this issue at length, and, um, and he understands that. He understands that we have a responsibility to do here. The president, of course, President Trump wants to secure the country. President Trump is the one that talked about border security before anyone else did. He ran on, as you remember, building the wall. Why? Because he saw this catastrophe coming. He knew that if we did not get control of it, we would be in this situation. And that's why President Trump took executive actions. He used his executive authority to get that system under control. President Biden came in reflexively and did exactly the opposite. And that is what has caused this crisis. It is well documented. I'm happy to share with you all, if you haven't seen it yet, our documentation of the 64 actions they've taken. At least half of those, more than half, could be immediately reversed with a stroke of a pen. And Joe Biden refuses to do it. And it is outrageous to us. Mark Southside, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Good morning, Dan. What the Republicans are doing now is just for optic. It's too late. The Democrats already accomplished their goal with the open borders. When they took over to Congress and you were talking about the power of the purse, they could have done this. They could have used that two years ago when they took it over and they did nothing with it. To me, it's just optics. They already accomplished their goal with all the millions that came in. They don't care anymore what happened. Yeah, there might be something to that, Mark. Thanks for the call. Pat and Lockport. Yeah, good morning. You know, I, I agree totally with the uh, prior caller that he actually took my words. If this um, impeachment goes through, it's not going to go through uh, the Senate. But, Dan, two things. Why can't they just still work on the articles of impeachment, impeach this guy? I'm so sick and tired of these people getting away with actual murder and then close the purse. I mean, the SOB in the White House is talking about trickle-down by Bidenomics. How about trickle-down stupidity? It starts at the top. I'm Thanks. just sick of what's going on in our country. Thanks for the call, Pat. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer.
Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. I'm talking about uh, the Mayorkas impeachment moving forward out of uh, the House Homeland Security Committee yesterday. And then, of course, the larger backdrop of all things border security related. Are House Republicans doing enough? I would say no, but is Mike Johnson, Speaker Mike Johnson, doing everything he can? I would say yes, that those seem to be contradictions, but they're really not. He can't, uh, you know, put a gun to the head of every member of his caucus, and if they're unwilling to go along with uh, drawing that line and exercising that power of the purse when it comes to border security, that you will make these policy changes or we will not authorize spending, period. Um, He just doesn't have the votes at this point. That's what we understand. So it's uh, frustrating, but that's the dynamic against that backdrop. The big guy, Mr. 10 percent, President Biden, that is, was uh, asked about uh, what he's doing or not doing. You sure you're doing everything you can, Mr. President? With executive authority, or is there more you could do? Absolutely. Not all I can do. Just give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got in office. Give me the border patrol. Give me the people. Give me the people to judge it. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. Yeah, if he only had the power, if he only had the authority, he's done everything he can, folks. Oh, he's he's done his liar. part. Liar. All he has to do is, with the stroke of a pen, he doesn't need congressional approval for anything, any congressional plan. And what I hate is he stands in front of a helicopter, so nobody can really understand what he's saying unless there's closed captioning. Well, we we understood quite clear what he said there. I've done all I can at the border. Give me the power. Um, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 646-368, turnkey.pro text line, as you heard from Mike Johnson before. The other Mike, Mike Scott, uh, delivered the news. Um, they've got a list of 64 actions that President Biden has taken, uh, half of which could be undone with a stroke of a pen. So he has taken executive action in the direction of opening the borders. Right. What he won't do is take executive action. Somehow he um, magically lost the power that he used to open the borders. He won't use it to... Uh, make policy changes at the borders. Uh, yeah, so didn't he take, that's like, where... 90, change 94 executive actions from Trump 
to open the borders. Six, 64 is what Mike Johnson referenced oh. uh, from the podium yesterday. So, again, it's um, it's uh, what I think Mark from the South Side said. I think that we're getting to that point where it's fairly clear that, um, one, it's not really an invasion. I'm not sure I like that word because it eliminates the responsibility of the Biden administration. Do you break into my house if I invite you in? Do you invade my country if I invite you in? That's true. Uh, so so that's the the policy. He's done all he can to open the borders. He won't use the power that he has. He's made that abundantly clear. Uh, and the question becomes, well, if he's suffering politically for it, if you've got some Democrats in the House defecting to support the impeachment of Mayorkas to try to cover their backsides, then why, oh why, oh why, would he do, would this administration do the things they're doing? Why, oh why, oh why, would BLM Brandon and Jelly Belly and Hochul and Adams and uh, Blue State governors and big city Marxist mayors across the country, why, oh why, oh why, would they do the things they're doing if it isn't to their political advantage, since we understand that is the a prism through which they examine things. So, yeah. Hmm. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636-DA, turnkey.pro text line. Got a text message in all capitals, build the wall, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. But we know why we're doing it. They want to, I mean, the Castro brothers, those ghoulish looking twin brothers, whew, they look sinister. They, they want to turn Texas blue. That's the goal. They're like, it's red, it's going to be purple, and just wait, it's going to be blue someday. Uh, updating some stories about the huddled masses yearning to breathe free yesterday. ICE in Baltimore arrested a Salvadorian MS-13 member in the U.S. illegally who had been released from custody by the sanctuary jurisdiction in Montgomery County despite a conviction for accessory to first-degree murder. They also ignored an ICE detainer. (laughs) That's Montgomery County, but you could easily substitute Cook or Lake for Montgomery and Illinois for Maryland, couldn't you? Sure you could. We've done it. So now we're telling stories just like we tell stories of the murders de jour on the streets of Chicago. The only difference is um, we have the ability to prevent these people, like members of MS-13, from coming into this country. We have the power and the ability to deport them if they are able to break into the country. But there's no interest in doing either. Hmm. Uh, Mike Scott mentioned it in his newscast. Tom Dart. At the podium, oh, these uh, migrants desperate to work are being manipulated by uh, gangs to, inge- you know, uh, organize burglary rings to uh, commit crimes in exchange for fake IDs. Oh, yeah. Hundreds of fake ID cards lined a table inside Cook County Sheriff's Department in Maywood on Tuesday morning. They were recovered last week's part of an underground investigation in a usual pattern of not real at the blah, 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 blah. The vast majority of them were from Venezuela, said Dart. They're being used by criminal organizations to engage in small retail thefts. 
No, they have small a choice for adults. It sounds like an infomercial. Remember that oh, guy yeah. that used to be in the infomercial? You do it like small classified ads. You just put small classified ads in, and you put enough of them, and then you become a billionaire. Uh, small retail thefts in exchange for fake Social Security cards, driver's license, greens cards, so on and so forth. Uh People have, we've taken into custody, said Dart, have told us we're literally directed on what to steal, how much to steal, that would get you this ID and that ID. Oh. Oh, my God. But aren't these people adults and they could tell them, no, I want to follow the rules. Maybe now I want to start anew and be a good citizen and a good neighbor. Is Tom Dart an adult? No, could he, not could acting he, like one. Could he tell them, well, you know what, um, that's a sad story, but you shouldn't come to this country Knowing that you're not going to be able to work. I mean, I well, we believed what Biden said, false promises. And this is the, well, okay, fine. Then um, I'm sorry to inform you that we have uh, enemies inside the perimeter in this country who don't believe in the founding document, who don't believe in the rule of law. And, but but I'm not one of them, and so you got a problem here. But that's not what Dart said. It's not what any of them say on the left. Why is that? So if this if this, you know, for example, this dark case with these uh, people that are stealing in order to get for criminal gangs in order to get, I mean, burglar, you know, criminal burglary rings in order to get uh, uh, IDs, then if they are the victims, then who is the predator? Just the burglary rings or is it the people that enable the people that enable them? The people that say, well, you, come on in. We don't have any plans for you. We, we don't have any process here. Uh, we're sort of doing this back of, the, back of the pants. And so you get here. You get hooked up with these people. That you, then you get arrested by uh, local law enforcement. And you're saying, but wait, wait, I was promised. Well, take it up with those making those uh, beautiful, telling those beautiful lies and making those empty promises, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah. Why, oh, why? Jordan Force Park. You know, I don't think uh, President Biden cares about the number of migrants that are shipped up to Illinois from Texas or to, uh, you know, these other states. You know, Biden, Biden knows that there is no way the Republicans are going to carry Illinois, period. Doesn't matter. Trump's nominee, somebody else, doesn't matter. It's not going to happen. You know, maybe Abbott should be thinking about the swing states, sending the migrants there. And then maybe Biden will think twice about the whole issue. Well, thanks for the call, Jordan. I mean, yeah, I agree, I mean, agree to a certain extent. I, I was, uh, you know, offered this commentary last week saying that Abbott should pause on the buses to Chicago and send them to Lexington and send them to Tulsa and send a message to McConnell and to Lankford. Send a message inside the party to uh, those who are behaving like quizlings inside the party. I agree. And did you see the I-Team story that they did? We're paying when they want to leave. Some of the migrants that come to Chicago, we've had close to 40,000, but 4,327 have now come and gone. And we've paid, according to their records from the Illinois Department of Human Services, uh, $775,000 to relocate people that don't want to stay here. Yeah. What in God's name is going on? Well, what do you want to do? You, you pay, it's a paid, I mean, it's a paid vacation, not a great vacation, but we pay them to come. We pay them to stay. We pay them to leave. Oh my God. 
What, 775 for them to leave? No, $775,000 for travel-related expenses. 775 we, We've spent more than a billion dollars on uh, through the state's Medicaid program on migrants here. Phil in Merrillville. Hey, I uh, just wanted to say uh, Biden could have did exactly what Trump did, and that was tell Mexico you're not you're not going to get the normal funding you do like uh, normally they get a billion or two dollar a billion or two billion dollars a year. Yeah, he could have cut it off like Trump. Well, he he could have he could have done a lot of things that he didn't do and that he won't do. I mean, yeah. we talked about this last week. I think it was last week. Maybe it was two weeks ago now. I mean, remember the, the reporting on the demand that AMLO, the Mexican president, made of Biden oh, in order right. to uh, in order to provide more uh, security at the border on there on the Mexican side of the border and slow the flow. Remember, what he, did? He, he used to make uh, billions of dollars, uh, 10 million migrants path to citizenship in here illegally, 10 million. Yeah. Um, uh, lift the sanctions on Cuba. Let do oh, this in in Latin America. I mean, do, what does that tell you? Those demands that Amla made, absurd demands. Except, not absurd to him. What does that tell you? What he understands about the Biden position? So this sort of like what Biden could do, what should be done. I mean, we, it's like we do in Chicago and Illinois. They could do this when it comes to violent crime. They could do that on. Uh, property taxes. Well, right. They could do a lot of things. I'm not going to. The question is, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do in response is the question. All this like, here's what a bunch of Marxists could do. They could uh, advance policies consistent with free minds, free markets, and the rule of law. Sure they could. What prospect do you think there is of that occurring? Uh, Larry in Elmhurst. Hey, good morning. Uh, this is really going to turn into a, a blank show, but uh, not your show. It's these illegals. But yeah. I was watching a video about 20 of these illegals from Venezuela, I believe they said on the video, jumped two uh, New York cops and were yeah. beating the hell out of them. Yeah. You know, the, the, the ones that came here that said, oh, the, we're, you know, we're just here for uh, make a living. These are the gangbangers from South America that are here. And we're going to. Thanks for the call there. Sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to cut you off. But no, no, have you, have you seen that video? Mm-hmm. Military-aged men from China, from Africa, well, different. I mean, from all over. Well, I'm telling you, talking about specifically the video of that uh, that group of young, I think it was Venezuelan men that jumped these New York City cops. Yeah. So again, tell me you you, you want to break out the Emma Lazarus poem and tell me again about those huddled masses yearning to breathe breathe free. See, the difference here is, on this show, is we understand reality that some people, yes, some people are good people trying to get to this country for a better life, yes, and some people are not. So it's not all of one or all of another. When you're talking about millions of people, it is always going to be mixed nuts. It's going to be a mixed bag. Some really good people, industrious people. God-fearing people, people that would be an asset to this country, and a lot of people that don't fit any of those descriptors. This is why 
This feels like Schoolhouse Rock. This is why you have to have a system in place to discern the good people from the bad people. So simple. Gosh, I should run for president. These wonderful insights. This is how this is how straightforward it is. So, again, and we'll get to it at the six o'clock hour. Why? If it's as simple as I laid out, and I mean the implementation, of course, is not as simple, but with the resources and the ingenuity this country has, it's pretty simple. So why? Why are things the way they are? That's the question we try to answer on this show. Mike in Littleton, Colorado, that is. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. Just three things. Uh, you forgot to mention that they paid the vote. So that could cover that seven hundred grand covers that, and then we'll get, we'll get to that. Yep, it's it's all theater, both sides. It, the replacement for this guy will be as bad or worse than he is. We have precedent to believe that. And um, quite honestly, uh, this guy Johnson, when he said, "Oh, we have the barest of majorities in the House," yeah, dummy. Why do you think that might be? Um. And that's it. I mean, they're going to give these people the right to vote. That's what's next. Get them in here first, and then they're going to distill it down legally so that the, they give them the right to vote in localities and states where it's strategically important. And then by the time it you know works through the adjudication process, it doesn't matter. The votes have been counted, and then we're going to have to hear, you know, you know people have been disenfranchised if they're tried to be stopped and everything else. And and I'll say this one last thing. Still falls back to the 40% of Americans that are willing to live with this crap and, 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 and through their vote or whatever virtue they think they get of it, uh, condone it. And it's killing us. And it's sad. Thanks for the call, Mike. Yeah, Mike's definitely over the target. Greg and Schomburg. Boy, that last caller was great. Um, Hi, Dan and Amy. First of all, what I want to talk about is the fact that the Democrats, with the thought of bringing these people in to make them citizens, there's simultaneously something going on, Dan, in addition to all of the migrant crime that you're just talking about, and that is the increased, typically from the black community, typically from young men, um, of wielding type crimes, you know, the clockwork orange crimes that, mm-hmm. you know, where they just walk up to people and just knock them. Yeah, yeah the, the the droogs. There's yeah, three, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's three of them on the streets of Cincinnati that happened this past week. And what's really interesting is they've never experienced this before. You would never have that in Cincinnati. And the USA Today paper that is down there does not have it on the front page in any way, shape or form. Mm. They need Jerry Springer back, but he's unavailable. Uh, well, no, no, don't forget about that Venezuelan who broke a police officer's hand. Remember, he was he was having some psychotic episode. He was on Elston near Belmont and jumped on cars on the street, and they still can't find him. Well, he's trying away. to fit into Chicago. Oh, you, know, yeah. you can't okay. blame him. Just That's trying to keep up with the Joneses here. Uh, Craig in Mount Greenwood. Oh, hey, good morning, Dan and Amy, and uh, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, this whole situation. Now, uh, I agree with you, Dan, about the with the purse. But that, the fact that they don't do that, and they, the Republicans can't get their act together. There's a lot of traitors over there. But Biden and his band of pirates and all that, they all are dirty on this and everything, and, and want to keep this going. And they should follow through on on doing whatever they can on any one of them. 
it starting with Mayorkas because he's responsible for this whole, uh, you know, responsible is he's the cabinet or the sec, whatever he is for these yeah. people. But follow through and do something because they do nothing, nothing, nothing. They never do nothing. So they need to do something. Thanks for the call, Craig. Uh, Georgia Naperville. Yeah, Dan, this president is so busy telling scary stories about mega monsters that he has time. He doesn't have time for doing his job. Thanks for the call, George. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Um, First hour, we talked about, um, I don't want to say misdirections from the Republican Party, but proxies for doing what should be done. You know, the power of the purse, not uh, a performative impeachment of Ali Mayorkas, as much as he richly deserves it, being a henchman for the big guy. You know, the big guy, ultimately, this is, you know, they're going up the food chain instead of down the food chain right. to the the big guy for impeachment, maybe to be included with charges lodged against Mayorkas to be included in the ultimate articles of impeachment against the big guy. Of course, the focus there has instead been on Biden Incorporated. And then the misdirection plays, these are misdirection plays from the left, as was presented, good example presented yesterday during that Homeland Security Committee proceeding unfurling the articles of impeachment against Mayorkas. So good example of this. So we don't have this national discussion on why the why a why is this occurring, which we're going to get to. Good example of this, this um, guy, uh, Robert Garcia, he's a Marxist congressman from California, and uh, he used uh, his time to. uh, Well, what what did George from Naperville say? Tell uh, nightmares, tell scary stories, to right. induce nightmares about uh, the MAGA, the coming MAGA dictatorship. There's going to be moats with alligators and people are going to be shooting migrants in the leg and so on and so forth. I want to remind the public that Donald Trump and House Republicans also have their own ideas for the border. So let's review the majority's border ideas that they've actually presented. Here they are. Donald Trump actually has said that he wants to build alligator moats 
along the border. That's one of his incredible ideas. Another idea that Donald Trump has promoted is he actually wants to electrify the border fence and maybe even put some spikes on the border. That's another Donald Trump and MAGA majority border idea. Another idea, which I'm not sure how, how well it would go, is he wants to actually bomb northern Mexico with missiles. That's another Trump idea. And finally, I think one of the ones that I think um, is the most grotesque is suggestions that instead we should maybe just shoot migrants in the legs as they cross the border. So once again, the Donald Trump and MAGA plan is alligator moats, bombing northern Mexico, shooting migrants in the legs, and electrifying the fence and putting spikes on them. That is the Donald Trump border plan. Yeah, things that go bump in the night. Um, uh, follow up, uh, Congressman, um, is that what President Trump did when he was president? Remember the time when he was president for, you know, yeah. from 2017 to 2021? Is that what he did? Um, so he, here's the here's where this comes from, by the way, which I haven't seen anybody pick up. They should have because this guy was front and center at the White House briefing yesterday. This is where this comes from. They just recycle this stuff. Again, the scary stories. You know, I uh, Robert Garcia should have been holding a flash a flashlight under his face while he was telling uh, that tale about uh, the MAGA plan for border security. Um, this comes from uh, New York Times reporter Michael Shear. So there was a book that Michael Shear and another New York Times reporter wrote in 2019 about Trump and Trump immigration policy. And they report that, you know, Trump in private conversations has uh, suggested, uh, you know, alligators in the Rio in, in moats or in the Rio Grande somewhere uh, and, uh, and and winging migrants trying to come across the border and bombing northern Mexico and all the things that Garcia said. So they just recycle this. This is all one of these, you know, uh, unnamed sources type of right. uh, tracks against Trump that were, you know, multitudinous during his four years. So it, so it's important just so you understand that this is they just produce what they need. So they have reference material. It's the wrap-up smear, as Nancy Pelosi famously described it. You get the New York Times reporter to report on it so that Robert Garcia, four years later, five years later now, can uh, use it when it's convenient in a proceeding against the Secretary of Homeland Security. We got the best text message. Um, when did South Park start writing scripts for Congress? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So Michael Shear this week was uh, in the pool uh, querying KJP, White House spokesearthling. And, um, and it was over the big guy's rhetoric because, you know, Biden's rhetoric has ratcheted up about, you know, getting tough on the border and shutting down the border and so on and so forth. Oh, he's starting to sound like Trump. Of course he is because it's a way to middle the issue. I want what you want. Whatever you say you want, I want. Now I'm over here doing something else, but... I can mouth the words, but then you have the comm shop of the left making sure, hey, wait a second, you got to stay on message here. Don't get too far afield. Stay on message. Stay on point. Don't worry. We got you. I can whip up another book with fantasies about uh, space invaders and whatever else we can make up about uh, the, the coming MAGA dictatorship so you have more reference material, but don't go getting soft on the message. Listen to this exchange between Sheer and uh, and KJP. 
back in the winter of 2018 and the spring of 2019, President Trump vowed to shut down the border with Mexico uh, using almost the identical language that the president used on Friday. Uh, many, many, if not most, if not practically all Democrats called that xenophobic and even racist. Why uh, shouldn't people make the same conclusion about this president's threat to shut down the entire border with Mexico? So we believe the new enforcement tools uh, that currently don't exist, that will be, uh, we believe that will be part of this bipartisan agreement, uh, will be fair. We believe it'll, yes, it'll be tough, but it will be fair. But he didn't say he wanted to use, excuse me, sorry. Yeah, no, no, he no, he no. didn't say, I would, on, on day one, I will use enhanced enforcement to in, improve the processing of people at the border. He said, I will shut the border down, which, which suggests a, a total rejection of all people attempting to cross the border without without a visa or without without proper authorization, which, you know, mm -hmm. stands in contravention to decades of international and U.S. law um, that that governs the the movement of people around the globe and the, and yeah. the refugees and asylum system. Yeah, no. So why I, isn't that the same thing that Trump did? No, I understand your question. What I'm saying to you, the new enforcement tools, right, that we yeah, and KJ, that do not KJ, have in the winter of KJP doesn't know how to get out of it, so she just repeats the canned answer she has, you know, because she's a dimwit. And um, reading it from a book. Yeah, right. She's got her binders Binder. full of canned answers, uh, so, so, you know so she doesn't have to use whatever's left between her ears. But but the the point is this, is, you know, the big guy, he's been a company man so long and he's so diminished that sometimes he forgets what my his lines are. So that's why you have Michael Shear there to remind KJP, to remind the president, you don't use language like shut down the border. And KJP dances around and, oh, of course, Michael, you're right. Of course. Yes, they're very good. I get it. He's got a stand message. He can't be using the Trump rhetoric. I, I get it. So I'll just talk about enhanced enforcement measures that'll make the processing more efficient. And so it's really fascinating to, to, uh, to, to take a step back and watch how this ecosystem operates. And that's why. So the Garcia thing yesterday that connects it to, to Sheer because it's ripped from his book from 2019 and then you see this little dance that's done by Sheer and KJP sending a message back to the Biden from the comm shop saying, these are your lines. Really interesting. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Okay. Uh, we have to get to the why, oh, why is this happening? Yes. Since we've set it up for the last hour. Um, this I, I got this two-page memo that Cleta Mitchell authored. Cleta Mitchell is a longtime, highly respected uh, uh, election attorney in D.C. She knows her stuff. She's one of Trump's election attorneys. In fact, she was on the infamous Raffensburger call. I meant I've made mention it many times because you know Cleta Mitchell's on the call. She and and other attorneys that that, that I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of Raffensperger, but I'm just giving some frame of reference here. I've actually uh, used Cleta Mitchell in campaigns before too for her legal expertise. Okay. So, overview of the threat of non-citizen voting in 2024 is the title of her memo. 
Federal law prohibits non-citizens from voting in U.S. elections. However, the prohibition is essentially mooted by caveats in the law. Supreme Court has ruled that states may not, may choose not to require documentary proof of citizenship in order to vote in a federal election. In point of fact, in in uh, more than just may choose to, there has there's case law. In 2013, you'll remember the Supreme Court declared invalid under the National Voter Registration Act uh, a law in Arizona that was passed a decade earlier that would require proof of citizenship in order to register to vote in Arizona. And federal courts at the lower levels have also ruled as violative of the National Voter Registration Act similar measures requiring proof of citizenship to register to vote. So that's what she's referring to. So, yes, while the top line is federal law prohibits non-citizens from voting in U.S. elections, underneath that is, well, the courts have hamstrung states from requiring proof of citizenship to register in the first place because of the National Voter Registration Act. So it's one thing up here, but then it's another thing, you know, in operation. Additionally, uh, let me go on with with uh, with uh, what Cleta writes. The states must accept the federal registration form for purposes of registering to vote. The National Voter Registration Act states must accept the federal registration form for purposes of registering to vote. And there's no language in the National Voter Registration Act to require such documentation. Proof of citizenship. Accordingly, the only protection against illegals voting is a signature attestation that the person registering is a citizen which SCOTUS has deemed sufficient. The Biden administration has ordered every federal agency to register everyone who comes into contact with the agency. So she asks, what protections exist to stop the registration of migrants by the Department of Homeland Security? Boy, I'd like that question uh, pushed on Mayorkas and the Department of Homeland Security since he's in the crucible right now. That's a big one. What protections exist to stop the registration of migrants by DHS when the Biden administration has ordered every federal agency to register everyone who comes into contact with the agency. By the way, she goes on, there are myriad left-wing advocacy groups who register illegals to vote. That's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, The National Voter Registration Act also mandates that state DMVs register every person who does business with the DMV. There's no program or training by DMVs in most states to obtain proof of citizenship before registering people to vote. In many states, such as Georgia, a person is automatically registered at the time of coming into contact with the DMV unless the person opts out of registration. No proof of citizenship is required. Oh, my gosh. This is also true for persons coming into contact with state social service agencies. There are, in other words, no protections, no safeguards to ensure that persons registered are, in fact, citizens. Non-citizens are issued driver's licenses in most states, and non-citizens are issued Social Security numbers. There are no safeguards, she repeats for emphasis, no safeguards to protect against non-citizens registering to vote, and there are no safeguards to protect against non-citizens voting once registered. Other than, I would say, massive ballot integrity programs that challenges in real time with lawyers at the ready in courts of law, non-citizens who vote, since that's still a violation of federal law. But so it's a violation of federal law at the top, but then all of the infrastructure underneath is providing a path to 
non-citizens voting in federal elections in contravention of federal law. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line. 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Here's another tool, uh, another pool of voters. Okay. Many states, she goes on, such as North Carolina and Wisconsin, two swing states, allow the use of student IDs for voting purposes. Oh, well, foreign students are issued student IDs, thus creating yet another pot- pool of potential illegals voting. The federal statute governing overseas and military voting also does not require proof of citizenship in order to register and cast a vote from overseas. Uh, the uh, uh, Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act allows persons to essentially register and vote by email without a residence in the United States and without any proof of citizenship. The program was intended to facilitate military personnel and their families in, vo- in voting while deployed. However, in 2020, this law... Um, under this law, the vote was 63% civilian. 63% of the votes from overseas were civilian, not military votes. There are leftist advocacy groups mobilizing in other countries to turn out expats to vote. And the failure to require proof of U.S. citizenship creates yet another pool of non-citizen voting. That's a lot of pools of non-citizen voting. Well, and the pool's you, just yeah. and the pool's just got about uh, seven times bigger in the last three years. So that's what I'm. I mean, what I heard you say, they're letting. What I think now, they're letting in thousands a day, and have been, as you mentioned, for the last three years, in order to rig this election so that Biden wins. Um, that's yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. That's what she's saying. That's what Cleta Mitchell is saying. Oh, I mean, you know what 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 they're what they're. What they are or are not attempting to do, I mean, you can, you, you know, draw your own conclusions about what they're attempting to do. But this is the environment in which we're all operating. Mm-hmm. This is reality. Now, how do people play the game with this reality in this reality? Well, you draw your own conclusions. So one of the things that she recommends, which is yeah, really good, and you know, talk about asleep at the switch. This is where. Uh, instead of, I mean, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. So go ahead and, and, you know, have your impeachment of Mayorkas. But where's Speaker Mike Johnson and House Republican leadership saying we need to amend the National Voter Registration Act post haste to sweet? That's exactly what Cleta Mitchell says. Both the National Voter Registration Act and the act that governs overseas voting, I just described, need to be amended to require documentary proof of citizenship to register to vote in a federal election. Yeah. Uh, also, she uh, there's a recommendation she makes, and they're spot on. I hope somebody's listening to Cleta Mitchell. She knows everybody in D.C. Uh, the National Voter Registration Act should be amended to require that a disclosure be made to every person before being registered to vote. That registration is for U.S. citizens only. If you're not a citizen of the United States, you can't register to vote. And registering to vote if you're not a citizen is a federal crime. Provision in the Federal Criminal Code prohibiting non-citizen registration and voting should be strengthened to make it possible to actually prosecute offenders. Um, and she goes on on this. But, I mean, the um, the amending of the laws to make it clear and to end the wink and a nod um, empowerment of federal and thanks to the courts because of the, their interpretation of the Natural Voter Registration Act, state agencies 
to register to allow uh, non-citizens to register and there's no real protection short of whatever the Republican Party can put together in terms of ballot integrity programs because it doesn't seem like the Democrats are very interested in ballot integrity programs gosh I wonder why I mean that that has to be addressed I'm I'm uh I'm a little um embarrassed that I didn't think of this too this is something that I, I'm I'm just I'm I'm a little I'm I'm surprised I'm surprised myself I didn't think about it but I I didn't realize until I read her memo you know just how wired up the infrastructure both at federal and then the state level too is to facilitate uh, these pools of voters non citizens to essentially become voters this 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 is big stuff. It's scary. This it is, is. why people leave, lose sleep at night. I mean, my dad kept telling me, he's like, Amy, we are never going to get our country back if we don't stop this. And I think that they might stop it if Biden's reelected. But they've been doing this for three years, like letting people pour into this country. Well, here, here's the thing about this, right? You know, people get the sense, you know, that we're going to lose our country and, and we're yeah. essentially doing this to ourselves. We're self-immolating. But... Um, they say, well, and then they say, oh, you lose our country because you're afraid of people from other – you're xenophobic, you're this, you're that. No, no. People, people instinctively know. And so this provides the form to the function. This is what I'm talking about. It's, it's the general indictment of this open borders policy, which is you treat non-citizens as citizens or in many cases better than citizens. And that's just wrong. That is not consistent with – being a country that demands people play by the same set of rules, it's just morally wrong. And then you have all of these additional dangers that befall a country, whether it is on the public safety front or, you know, this detail uh, when it comes to uh, free and fair elections. That this, this is not a fair election. This is not a paradigm that says, that translates into fair election because it's against federal law rightly so for a non-citizen to vote just like it would be in any other country right bill in lasalle county here on chicago's morning answer this has been happening for years and if you remember it was called the motor voter act and if you go into right. the dmv the first yeah. thing they do in illinois is they ask you basically do you, are you registered to vote? Would you like to register to vote? Not are you a U.S. citizen or do you realize you have to be a U.S. citizen to vote? Tom Fighton from Judicial Watch, you had him on over a couple of years ago, and the state settled with Tom Fighton over its voter rolls. But what happened to the cleanup process of that? The only thing I understand is the Republican Party of Illinois got access to the voter rolls so that they could try to clean them up, not the state's. Yeah, thanks for the call, Bill. Well, right, it's it's here here again. You you have there are updates that they do to the voter rolls. I know Illinois particularly well, but the problem is, you know, uh, garbage in, garbage out, and so this is part of the ballot integrity program, which is a, should be a twenty four seven operation because, yeah, you've got to check the authorities and the quality of their data, so. Um, you're, you have to check on the, uh, on the way up, and then you have to provide the material, 
uh, on the way down. In other words, you have to check your own government with respect to how good their record keeping is. And then you have to get the proper data so that you can provide uh, good data to candidates and Republican Party organizations and volunteers and so forth when it comes to canvassing and even more importantly, get out the vote efforts and Election Day ballot integrity program, uh, uh, poll watchers and the like. So, um, yeah, no, this is this needs to really be ratcheted up in terms of uh, attention and notoriety. This needs to be included in the national conversation and debate about what's happening at the border uh, straight away. And uh, I'm uh, glad Cleta Mitchell provided uh, this framework for people to understand it and drive this conversation. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's uh, been a little heavy this morning. You know, it can get that way when you're talking about the end of our republic. So uh, let's uh, offer some advice and counsel to Amy about this transition she's recently made in her life, shall we? I'm talking to you. I'm talking about you like you're not here, but you are. Right. I'm here. What, yeah. what I'm transitioning. Well, not in that way. Not the way that it's My name's <laughs> normally. My going to be Andy. No, no. Uh, this uh, piece in the journal uh, had me thinking about... Uh, your struggles. I'm an empathetic guy that way. Oh yeah, you're so oh, you ooze empathy. I'm very uh, thinking about KJP, other people's woo. other people's struggles uh-huh. and what I can do to aid, uh, you know, aid in that time of need. Uh, when uh, junior heads to college, helicopter parents turn to empty nest coaches. Oh boy, <laughs> I'm going to spring for one for you. Okay, um, how much for a, was it for a period of time? Uh-huh. Um, after years of shepherding children from one minute to the next, moms and dads hiring $250 an hour counselors to help them learn to live life on their own. <laughs> <laughs> You've got 312-642-5600. Yeah. Turnkey Depro answer line. Text us too at 64636. Type in DA, then a quick comment. Helicopter parents get accustomed to tracking their children's heavy move via smartphone, keeping activities tightly scheduled, scrutinizing homework and grades, exchanging miles of text. For a certain cohort of hands-on parents, getting their teens into college marks the finish line. The kids are fine. It's the parents who need help. The exit of high school seniors leaves many feeling like they're being fired from a job they've had for 18 years, mm-hmm. says Jason Ramsden who's made a name for himself as the empty nest coach. So Amy, tell us about it. Well, I mean, oh, you're going to Don't start. No, don't okay, start just, with the waterworks. I'm not going to cry. Okay, but when Aunt, uh, Peyton left, it was hard because he was at Georgia Tech and that's not and it's not easy to get there. I mean, nice went over North Carolina last night, by the way. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure I watched. No. Um, congratulations to them, the Yellow Jackets. But I, um, you have to, it's at least $1,000 to fly there, get a hotel room, get a rental car, blah, blah, blah. And you, you can't do it. I mean, you have to take time off work and it's, it's, it's not going to happen. So when he left, the thing is, you can't go by the bedroom the first few days because it just breaks your heart. Because it is, it's a job you had your whole life that you're worried, not worried about them, but grow, you know, making them good citizens 
building strong character, getting their homework done, you know, and then all of a sudden it's gone and it's really depressing. But then you know what you do? You stop complaining. It will stop being sad. Drink. And then just, well, that may help too. Um, but then when the second one goes off, it's really, really, that was, that was brutal. And he didn't pick up his phone for the first week. I think Justin had to go through that week, week with me. I'm like, he won't call me back. He won't even text me back. Finally but, out. Um, I got, finally got sprung. <laughs> but it's hard. I mean, but then you just start getting busy and volunteer. Just do, just stay busy. You know, that's what you got to do. Hmm. That's why I ran the scorers table for girls and boys basketball this year. Because <laughs> to keep busy and to stay involved and, you know. Yeah, so you're yeah. basically uh, just uh, playing out the picking, string at this point. Picking up side <laughs> jobs. <laughs> so. I mean, it sounds uh, depressing. Uh, Kenny ha- Kenny Hazlett mm-hmm. had bittersweet feelings when his oldest child left for college. Uh, but he didn't expect the profound sadness when his middle child said goodbye last year, sort of what you're talking about. he, They all sting, but this one hurt. Apparently oh. we know which, which kid Kenny likes the best. <laughs> Wow. So obvious. Uh, Kenny's kids, his oldest isn't reading this. Boy. So listen to what Kenny's doing. What? Um, Sitting in her bedroom every night? He's paying that that empty nester coach two grand for weekly video conferences. Um, This is over the course of about uh, three months. And um, I I mean, it's just like, I don't know. It's just like Kenny needs somebody to talk to. Does Kenny have a wife or friends? This yeah, might be he, a good time to pick up a new hobby like pickleball. Well, see, he, you know, like the, I mean, you know, and I, I appreciate this. I'm, I'm, you know, having a little fun at his expense, but I mean, you appreciate the, the stories. Uh, he switched careers, became a real estate agent after the birth of the first child, so he wouldn't have to travel as much. He coached flag football, helped with homework, treated each of his three children to one-on-one trips. I mean, it's not, you know, he was a pole vaulter in college, coached his second son when uh, his son took up the sport in seventh grade. He volunteered to coach track when his youngest child, uh, his daughter, uh, 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 with his youngest child, high school senior, now on, on the launch pad, he's, he plans to circle back to the empty nest coach because he's, you know, about to experience another loss. And so, so I mean, he sounds like a great dad and really involved parent, and that's wonderful. It's just interesting that, you know, this guy is, you know, a, a talented guy and he's got a lot of interests and it's, it's, yeah. and many of them revolved around his kids, which is fine, which is great. But uh, this whole empty nest coaching thing is just, <laughs> by the way, where is the wife in all of this? I don't, I don't know. Maybe they're not divorced. helping, apparently. <clears throat> no, I know a man who completely broke down and was sobbing for days when his second daughter went to college. He was inconsolable to him. And I just thought, you know what, I'm not going to be that man. <laughs> well, it is. I mean, the, the losing your job thing comparison is kind of interesting. And, and again, I mean, I'll take jokes and ridicule, uh, which I normally enjoy for these segments. But it is sort uh-huh. of interesting um, because, uh, uh, it, it, you know, as, as one person observed in this piece, you're, you're so focused on raising your kids that – your whole identity is your kids. It's like people whose whole identity is their job, right? You're so focused right. on your work that, you know, if you lose your job, it really is like... Lose uh, yourself. Yeah, sort of. But you have to remember, God loves you. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> no, I'm just... Yes. 
that there's a higher calling. It's going to be okay. Then you know maybe you, this you know is you your side through? hustle. This is no, your side hustle. Empty nest coaching. Right. How you get through is you just plan the next trip. Like when am I going to see them again? All right. So now Peyton, he's at Georgia Tech, Paris. So when am I going to see him again? I'm going to France, and I better get Babel real quick here because I know no French. Um, I'm going next Monday to go see him. So then you look forward to those times when you get to see them. Oh, boy. Wow. What? Did go you know back. I'm not going to be here next Gay, gay Paris. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll be here Monday, but then I'm, I'm leaving because it's cheaper. To, I hate breaking up the week, but it's cheaper to fly Monday or Tuesday than it is on the weekends. Don't you have any friends with the con- you know, get you on the Concord? Oh, yeah, uh, right. Marty in Naperville, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Well, a couple of things wrong here. Number one, it's not like losing a job. You lose a job, you lose an income. You lose a kid, you gain an income. <laughs> um, yeah. And second of all, the old you. saying, don't, don't, don't be, what is the old saying? Don't be sad and it's over. Be glad it happened. Yeah. They're left. If yeah. you're trivial, don't exactly. go, don't go. What are you going to France for? And don't <laughs> tell them you're an American. Yeah, I know that. Thanks. I lived in Spain as a, mm. student, a student abroad. Yes, I've got my Swedish hat. I know what I'm doing. First it was um, Jefferson in Paris. Now it's Jacobson in Paris. <laughs> it's gonna, I'll be like, bonjour. Um, here's the thing, too. For the single moms out there, you know, when the kids go to college, guess what happens? Child support stops. <laughs> and that's a real big blow. That's worse than the kids living, leaving. Yeah, well, I mean, well, you, sh- I mean you should have you should have uh, squirreled away some of that alimony, <laughs> you know. Well, I have to pay for the college too. It's a double, it's a triple blow. Well, and, and you know, and then of course you got to be careful. You don't have one of those boomerang kids that uh, gets the hundred fifty thousand, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollar degree, and then all of a sudden is back living in the basement after graduation. Yeah, that's that could really too. crimp your style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You got uh, canasta and the other, you know, activities you filled the void with, and so now all of a sudden, maybe you got to. Once you're out, you're out. Uh, Mary Kay in Western Springs. Hi. Thanks for taking the call. I'm scared, you know, for the future of what these of this next generation. These kids will duck. So many of them back in the basement. The parents are smothering their ch- children. But Amy, um, you have boys. I think it's different with boys. I have a daughter. Um, I have an Italian husband who loves us so much that he, you know, when she left for school, he he cried. cried. He had tears. Yep. Us, Amy, our only <clears throat> baby. I mean, no. Well, I mean, where did she go to sad. school? It's a bummer. Flew. University. Yeah, we drove okay. back and forth. We were all down, whatever. But we left her. He said, my husband said to me, leave her alone. She's uh, she's gone. Leave her alone. Yeah. So he let her live her life and become the kid she is. And now she travels. She's never here. I don't even know if she's here. They fly in and out of here like, you know, my husband has his own life. He's a he's an old chubby white guy, you know, who... You know, start his own business now because he can't, you know, the banks don't, people don't want these old, older men who make a ton of money or whatever, you know, they've been successful and then they just cut them off. About 50, you're kind of done. Go figure something else out. You got to reinvent yourself. Like that Jane Polly wrote a book about it. Oh, Jane Polly, sure. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's, yeah, Jane, tell, told it like it is. Go start a pizza joint, do a, um, Started a new Johnny's beef stand. John, my husband wanted to do that too. I'm like, I'm not pulling a beef all over the place. Beef stand. All right. All right. Well, yeah, Mary, I, 
I'll tell you what. I think we got something. Um, Amy and Mary Kay, empty nest coaching. Oh, yeah. We could you know? throw in some aerobics and yoga there, too. That's, it's true. It, 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 we could go it's, golfing with them, too. Whole, you know, holistic. I mean, you get the mind and body with the two. I should, uh, I should see the business and manage the finances <laughs> if I do, by the way. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. We're talking about uh, the trauma of being an empty nester, and it spawned a coaching profession, empty nest coaches. Bill and Waukegan, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, I just wanted to say that when uh, my daughter was born, I couldn't even call my mom and dad because I was crying for like the last, you know, the next two hours or so. And then when I had to see her go to uh, college, um, I couldn't even... I almost couldn't even get out of bed for a day and a half. I mean, she was my first, and uh, I tell you, I'm just a, when it comes right down to it, I just realized then at that time that I'm a wussy boy, man. She had me, <laughs> and still has me around her finger. So, all right. That's all I want oh, to you Good morning to you guys, and thanks for taking my call, guys. Thanks for the call, yeah. Bill. Appreciate you it. You sound like a wonderful father. I got a text message. Amy, I can send my daughter over. I don't know how I feel about that. Um, she's a great cook and loves working out, yoga. She plays golf. You can borrow her. Oh, this is rent out your daughter for to empty nesters. That's an idea, too. <laughs> rent out your kids to empty nesters. And got another text message, A&M, empty nest coaching. Amy and Mary, you like it? Mary, Mary, yeah, Mary Kay. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, A&M, we'll to, empty nest coaching. We'll have to workshop that name. Yeah, all right. <laughs> It's what Chicago is talking about. It's Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan and Amy on AM560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. A Tribune news story of sorts, about as close as a Tribune can get to an actual news story. By the way, one of the things they say about the Safety Act in this story um, that is just untrue, this is what you have to deal with. The The cash bail measure has been controversial for those concerned about the public safety impact of the provisions, talking about the Safety Act, the Pritzker Purge Law. Though studies of bail reform measures in other jurisdictions have not shown a significant effect on recidivism or failure by defendants to appear in court. That's not true. Actually, the study that was done of the bail reform in New York, which doesn't go nearly as far as Illinois, did find a correlative increase in crime as a result of the disposition to let criminals, uh, those uh, accused of serious crimes, walk without bond. It did. So that's just not true. But okay. Uh, The anecdote that kicks off this effort to report news by the Tribune. In October, in Livingston County, Judge Jennifer Bocknecht issued a lengthy decision following a detention hearing just weeks after cash bail was abolished across the state. Said the judge in Livingston County where you still have some sanity. You have to get really outside of Cook, for sure, and to some extent the collars. I mean, certainly in a place like Lake County that would elect 
Al Reinhardt. Uh, it's state's attorney. That's not a good indicator. Anyway, Livingston County judge. She wrote, all right, since its founding, this country has used monetary bonds in conjunction with pretrial conditions as an effective tool for ensuring that a defendant is not at risk of harm to others in the community, does not commit any criminal offenses while out on bond, and, and that it, he appears as directed at all future court dates. Uh, this is in a case involving someone charged with soliciting a child. Yes. Yeah. She said she would have given the defendant a reasonable bond, but without that discretion, she ordered him detained. An appellate court vacated her decision, finding the court improperly focused on its disdain for the recent statutory charges. Uh, no, I, I think the disdain was um, both with respect to the Safety Act as well as to the defendant before her that had solicited a child. Yeah. So what we're seeing, you know, in the... Uh, initial wake of the impact of the purge law, Pritzker's purge law, is a significant spike in the number of appeals in cases just like this, where prosecutors might want a defendant detained, judge may want a defendant detained. Uh, the decisions per the, the purge law can be a bit murky, you know, based on somewhat subjective standards of threat to public safety. And so you have more activity at the appellate court level on this matter, but you certainly have more defendants as anticipated. That's the purpose of the law. More defendants who would have been held over for trial that are out roaming the streets. And again, as we mentioned before, I think yesterday in talking to Ted Dabrowski, what we need is to see is um, CWB Chicago to expand its operation to uh, get to at least Chicago land cooking the collars because this uh, series they've been running for three years, the num just just this narrow group of of uh, accused and oftentimes convicted, usually convicted uh, criminals. The series they've done the last three years, the number of people who are out on electronic monitoring or now just out um, awaiting trial for a violent felony who attempt to commit who attempt to kill somebody or did or or, or did kill somebody. or do kill somebody while they're awaiting trial for another felony charge usually gun related or something like right. this preventable yeah. crimes whether it right. be a, a murder or rape or carjacking or armed robbery i mean it's the whole long list of it yeah and i we don't have i don't think we have anybody has the data as we were talking to Ted yesterday it's difficult to call together well, we certainly can have the lived experience of people that are in the justice system every day and uh, what they're seeing. And so for uh, perspective there, we're pleased to be joined again by Eric Weiss, who is the state's attorney for Kendall County. Eric, thanks for being with us again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Amy. Always a so pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, we appreciate uh, appreciate your time and your insights, as, as I said, as somebody who does this daily. So um, what is the the lived experience over the last last year plus since the uh, implementation? Well, I'll tell you the appeals you were talking about is just, it's overwhelming right now, Dan and Amy. It's, um, I mean, every case, there's no reason for the defendant not to appeal his attention or even his conditions. So we're seeing, you know, as that article said, and there's some truth to some of the stats in there, over a thousand appeals already on just this pretrial detention um, and it's just it's going to overwhelm the system. What ultimately happens is 
You're spending millions of dollars in the appellate prosecutor, the appellate defenders, um, dealing with it in the court systems at the trial court levels. Um, we're just seeing a, a huge influx of those appeals that we didn't have five months ago, six months ago. Well, so, did, and does, did Governor Pritzker know about this? I mean, that this is one of the ramifications, one of the consequences of what he did? Yeah, well, yes. He allocated $50 million of your tax dollars to, you know, pay for this so we could, um, I don't know what we were going to do with it, but that's what we did. We spent $50 million a year to, to hire more people or to contract this out so they can handle these thousands of appeals that are coming each each month. And, and and what, you know, uh, I don't know if you have data on it just in terms of, you know, your purview in Kendall County, but sure. what is what is the, the result of the appeals? I mean, you know, these uh, I assume most of the appeals are coming from uh, uh, criminal defense attorneys who yeah. want their client released and a judge has held them over for trial. And and if that's right, if my instinct is right, then what what is your sense of? What's happening at the appellate court level in terms of um, in terms of upholding detentions versus releasing the accused? Well, what we're seeing so far is that at least the appellate courts right now are saying that the trial court made a decision. We're going to kind of honor that decision unless it was so far uh, a field that uh, we just can't. And I think you see that in Livingston County. Hey, you got to make a decision based on the law, not your opinion. Um, but what we're seeing, though, too, is, and I think that article mentioned, is judges, first of all, prosecutors aren't seeking detention as much as they probably could because they're worried about appeals, they're worried about uh, a judge not detaining someone. Then we have the whole issue of judges, they don't want to get reversed, so they're going to err on the side of not detaining someone if they have to, uh, unless the evidence is overwhelming. So if you look at, like, Cook County, which you would think you would have the highest number of appeals um, just based on their, their number of cases and the number of violent criminals that they have that they should be detaining and defendants should be appealing. They have the lowest number. Really? Um, so yeah, well, what, is that, what does that tell you? That tells you everything about the culture in Kim yep. Fox's office and, and, and the culture in, in Tim Evans, uh, the, 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 the court system that Tim Evans lords over that's as well. Well, and, and the problem with that is that means those people are out automatically if they're not seeking detention and they're going to other counties or other places or yeah. back to where they are and committing new crimes. Uh, that's the reality is we're seeing more repeat offenders so far um, on cases that we either can't detain or it makes it much more difficult to detain. And it's almost like a war of attrition. If we just keep imposing more and more obstacles to hold somebody and more and more things to get them back into custody prosecutors will just give up or judges will just give up at some point and let everybody out and we won't have to deal with it and i guess it really is not going to matter anyway because we're not going to be able to stop people and arrest people for crimes down the road if uh representative slaughter's bill starts coming into effect so we won't have to worry about that anyway right Right. You're talking about the uh, uh, Justin Slaughter, who was the sponsor of the Pritzker Purge Law, the Safety Act. We talked about yesterday. Now he wants to eliminate all traffic stops for yep. just about all traffic violations short of DUI. Including speeding. So I guess if you want to speed going to work, I guess you'll get to work faster. You won't have to worry about being stopped by a police officer and, and laws won't, I guess, won't mean anything at some point. I, I don't know if that's the intent going forward of 
we're just going to slowly erode the, the police ability to do their job and the court system, and we'll get back to, I don't know, purge system or anarchy or I don't know what we'll Dear Lord. Well, it'll just be a, a vigilantes. It'll be like the Audubon everywhere, which is, you know, I mean, kind of, th- kind of, kind so of fun. Rid- Do you think he's going to be successful with that? I I can't believe that, at least in speaking to people around here, even well. the Democratic, um, you know, representatives, up there, they, were, they were shocked it was filed. But again, I didn't think we'd be here where we were with the... Uh, you know, cash bail issue and, and not addressing the issues that the court system and prosecutors had about holding these people. But here we are. So uh, when you when you talk about, um, you know, people not detained in Cook County and then they're out in the collars and um, and potentially committing other crimes while they're out, we've seen that. It's not hypothetical. Um, in addition to whatever is sort of um, endemic uh, in Kendall County, are, are you seeing uh, a greater incidence of, of of crime, both locally as well as from outsiders coming in, um, not just repeat not just repeat offenders, but a, a greater incidence of crime across the board. We're seeing more from outside of our county than we have in the past, and I know it's only a short window, and it could just be a spike. Right. Um, I, I don't want to you know prejudge something on a couple months, but we are seeing much more from the Cook County area coming out this direction than we have in the last few years. If that continues, we're going to continue to see that spike of more and more cases in our system, um, causing us to either try to find more prosecutors, open more courtrooms, uh, expand our jail system if we have to. Um, It just continues to come this direction. And it's only been a few months. Um, Kind of, you know, three, four years from now, I, I don't know where we'll be. And if it continues on that trend, it's not going to be a good one. And and what you mentioned the jail. What what about that? Um, the uh, sort of the daily population in the Kendall County Jail, and and what and this is something else we've got to check out. But what you're hearing from some of the other Collar counties too, or is the jail is the daily population on the decline? It it depends on the day. Obviously, we have inmates that are sentenced that are coming in there. Uh, the ones that we're holding obviously have gone down pre-trial. Um, we are mm-hmm. fortunate, at least in Kendall County. Um, our judges have been very good about the ones who are seeking detention. We don't get every one of them. It's not an automatic, but they are doing a great job of going through and detaining those that should be detained. Um, but we're having to make tough calls because we know what the law says and we know what the appellate court can do if it gets up there and no disrespect to them. I mean, they're doing their job and based on a law that they didn't implement and they didn't pass. Um, but when it comes to the numbers pre-trial, they are down. Yeah, um, so that was anticipated. Um, what else, the other features of the Safety Act? I know, again, this has only been uh, since the fall, so it's it's not enough data. But, but again, just the experience and what you're sort of getting a sense of what this is going to be like. Um, so some of the other provisions we talked a lot about in the uh, the fight over the legislation and even after the legislation was was modified, uh, despite the fact that Pritzker said during the entire governor's race that didn't need to be modified, but it was anyway, after the fact. Mm. Uh, but like things like the um, the time limits to get defendants to trial and, and so forth that potentially impacted your ability to bring 
the strongest case that you could in terms of gathering the necessary evidence and so forth. That what, what are the other provisions that are uh, challenging the work that you do? Yeah, it is a little different on how we're doing things. I mean, Kendall's a little bit different than, let's say, Will County or Kane or some of the bigger counties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have the ability to, to try cases a little bit quicker, but we are putting pressure on the crime labs. We are putting pressure on our law enforcement to get that stuff to us quicker because we're under that that gun when we have to uh, to get those cases to trial. And obviously, they're very serious cases. It's not trying a, a retail theft in 90 days. It's a sex assault. It's an armed violence. It's a murder. Those are the type of cases that, as we continue down this path, especially in the bigger counties, we're either going to see those people out or we're going to see those cases not being charged right away because they have to wait till they get all their evidence. And while that's out, someone's committing a new crime or some witnesses being killed or whatever it happens to be. Um, that's going to affect law enforcement and the prosecution of those cases and the safety of the communities in general. He is Eric Weiss. He's the state's attorney for Kendall County. Eric, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Appreciate it, Danny. Have a good one. Thanks, you too. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. It's uh, said that, you know, you have to be smart to be funny. Well, I think that's true. Uh, Saturday Night Live is the negative composite of, of that reality. Uh you have to be smart to be funny. They're neither smart, and so they're not funny. Uh, so over the weekend, I mean, I don't watch it, but, you know, the clips were circulating. Right. That uh, Dullard, who does the weekend news update, uh, Colin Jost, tried yes. to have uh, have he, fun. You know who at, his wife is, right? Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's gotten passed around a few times. Oh. I, uh, wow. <laughs> Meow. Wow. Well, it's true. Oh. Hello. Yeah. Boy, mm-hmm. I'm, and, and she keeps going uh, down at about a 45-degree oh, angle from one to the other. Have well, you noticed? she married a dummy. I mean, yeah, so listen to what he said. They tried to have fun, uh, something that uh, Trump said on the uh, uh, campaign stump. Do we have that clip? My board's down. I know. The board's down. Justin, do we have it? Okay. We don't have it, apparently. Uh, all right. Well, well that's well, by we the board. We could paraphrase what happened. Well, they, 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 he, Trump talked about debanking on the campaign trail, yeah. and um, and he and you know they ridiculed him as like, what what is he talking about? What's debanking? They've never heard of this term before. But of course, anybody who's been paying attention to what's been going on in this country from at least you you only need. I mean, you could go further back than this, but certainly from COVID forward knows very well what debanking is. Yeah, banks closing people's accounts without reason. It's debanking. That's, that's part of it. And we saw that happen with the Freedom Convoy up in Canada. Yeah. And we also have uh, a memo from Jim Jordan, but here's the clip. Hasn't lost a step. <laughs> Trump did have a slight stumble this week while talking about banks, and he introduced an interesting new term called debank. We're also going to place strong protections to stop banks and regulators from 
trying to debank you. They want to debank you, and we're going to debank. I don't know what the hell debank means, but uh -huh. he might have to take de-ambulance to see the doctor. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the uh, Deutsche Banks in the audience dutifully clap. Uh, this is uh, Jim Jordan's memo from just uh, the other two weeks ago. Okay. Um, we, we discussed it on the show. Jim Jordan, the select committee, select subcommittee on the weaponization of federal government, writing a letter about FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, which is an agency within the Department of Treasury that had been communicating with big banks and suggesting terms for them to search the merchant category codes to communicate with law enforcement about you know, potential bad actors that may be their clients. Those merchant category codes that were identified and memorialized in this Jim Jordan letter, Trump. MAGA. Trump. MAGA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Search Zell payment messages as well. Uh, and then there's all sorts of, they're looking for, you know, homegrown terrorists. And then there's all sorts of other uh, search words they suggested that just basically are proxies for conservative or Trump supporter. Yeah, hilarious, Saturday Night Live. Uh, for more on uh, this and other such matters, please be joined by Steve Moore, economist, Godzilla author. Steve, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, guys. By the way, did you say Scarlett Johansson? Uh, what's her name? Scar Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett. Yeah, you're yeah, so current. Is she in your studio with her? I'm so in love with her. Oh, my God. Well, uh, do you like her, her more than you like him? <laughs> yeah, I was about to say don't the same thing. Uh, don't tell me she's a liberal. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, uh, yeah. I won't. I won't tell you. <laughs> Uh, anyway. Speaking on the banking issue, uh, you had something. Oh, by in... the way, can I just say one thing before you yeah. get into that? Okay. You no, know, sure. did you see the Did you see the article in the New York Times? You guys may have already talked about this about Will Matt and all the uh, yes. migrants that are yes. now going to Will yeah. Matt. <laughs> yeah, we made it to the big time. Know, Will Matt Will Matt went like seventy percent for Biden, so I think that's exactly where they should go. You know, I and, com and, completely agree. Yeah, you know, yeah, and, I... and, and I get, I'm getting all these indignant. You know, uh, uh, texts from my liberal friends, you know, who I went to Nutrue with. Oh, my God, how dare these, you know, migrants come into our little town here and we'll not, and we're not get I'm like, well, wait a minute, you guys voted for Biden. You, you know, he's made the, you, you know, your sanctuary cities. I thought you wanted these people. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Wilmette just doesn't have all the wraparound services that these poor migrants need. So it'd be much better if we just sent them down the metro to uh, Chicago, where they'll be better taken yeah. care of. This is this is selflessness on the on behalf of the well, North Shore North Shoreians. Yeah. And again, I love. I you probably guys probably talked about this already, but you know, being from Chicago, I love to bring this up that. Uh, you know, that that state legislator who said, hey, maybe you all should should home these illegal immigrants in your homes. I mean, you know, you yes. wanted them and they're here and you've got an extra bedroom. You know, come on, do the no, thing. I agree. I've I volunteered Byron Trot up on the North Shore and many other <laughs> yeah. wealthy individuals on the North Shore. I haven't heard back yet, though. Yeah, these uh, are like, you know, the, the rich liberals say, we want to pay more taxes, except we don't want to pay more taxes. We want other people to pay more taxes. Mm -hmm. We don't. Mm -hmm. And we just uh, got a, a text message into our show. I'm Dan and Amy. I listen to your show. I'm boarding a flight right now from uh, from Tucson to Chicago, and half of the plane are illegals being directed by NGOs. Wow! Yeah, uh, yeah. So, right. like, you know, your governor and your mayor. You wanted them. You wanted them. Here they are. How do you like it? I mean, uh, I just think there's some yeah. delicious irony in all this.
Uh, text text that guy boarding the plane from Tucson to Chicago. Take pictures. Well, did not, but also um, a spring for the Uber. Send them up to Walmart when they arrive. Um, the uh, all right. So let's get to banking too. So we were talking about the okay, debanking. Yeah. So, something else on this too. This was from your Unleashed Prosperity newsletter. Yeah. Uh, that uh, the c- commissioners of agriculture in 12 states sent yeah. a, a letter to big banks over their net zero pledges too. Um, so now, yeah. well, now farmers are in danger of getting debanked by these uh, companies if they don't go along with their climate nonsense. But anyway, <laughs> uh, address the letter that was sent. Yeah, so uh, this was, um, I think, 12 agriculture committees, uh, committee uh, chairman in states. I don't know if Illinois was one of them. Probably not. Not. But saying, you know, wait a minute. If we don't have energy, if we don't have oil, gas, and coal, we're going to be able to have the energy we need to grow food. And so people are going to go without food if we don't have energy. Now, that may surprise people, but, gee, you need, you need a lot of energy to, to produce our uh, food that uh, that uh, feeds our 300 50 million Americans. But this is this is a big deal. And this net zero, by the way, these people aren't screwing around. They are serious about going from 80 percent of our energy today comes from fossil fuels. They want to go from 80 percent to zero over the next what, 25 years, which would if you wanted to destroy the country, that would be a really good way to do it. If you wanted to cause famine and malnutrition, that would be a pretty good way to do it. Now, are you following? There's a little footnote to this story. Are you, are you Dan or Amy, following what's going on in France right now? Yeah, the the farmer revolt. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the farmers are revolting. You can't. Uh, this is the thing. You know, people take for granted our food supply because you know ninety five percent of us don't uh, don't work on a farm. But if you start uh, diminishing the amount of energy we have, we're not going to have enough food. It's that simple, and that's what the agriculture committee uh, you know these commissioners were saying and and nobody in washington or in uh, springfield seems to be listening you will eat the bugs claus schwab uh tells us so so yeah <laughs> actually it's uh, it's more than that too in terms of p- people being serious i know we don't take these people seriously oh my gosh i can't believe that person said this and they are deathly serious and i mean deathly from the i mean yeah. I, I go i go back to this from the recently concluded uh wef in davos uh, one of the participants, along with the entire Carey family, was uh, this uh, woman who wants ecocide to be declared a crime. And ecocide. she specifically <laughs> mentioned, you know, harming the environment to be a crime. And she specifically mentioned targeting farmers and ranchers. Now, criminally yeah, prosecute cause... them for harming the environment, according to what, uh, you know, uh, somebody like her or some governor like a Pritzker or a Newsom says it, uh, is harming the environment. Yeah. Is that because they use fertilizer and is that because they use pesticides and things like that to make sure that we have a clean and safe food? Is that, was that why these are, uh, you know, our monsters, these people who are, who are our farmers? I mean, uh, you, these people really are completely nuts. Not so. I mean, I am so shocked that people take this seriously that somehow if we just stop using any energy in this country we're going to change you know we're going to stop the the rise of the oceans i mean i encourage you china and india and the rest of the world isn't going to do this and and, and by the way europe tried to do this right and they that you think our economy is bad my god uh, europe is in a complete recession right now because they're so tied to these green energy policies that don't work well biden is trying to get in on the act now he's opened a new front in his war in uh, american energy independence and that's against uh, the lng liquefied nat- natural gas right yeah 
Yeah. So here's the thing. I mean, I'm so glad you brought this up because if you think about it, natural gas is is a wonder fuel in every way. It is it is abundant. It's made in America. It's a reliable. It's cheap, and it's clean burning. Natural gas is a clean burning fuel. Remember when uh, you remember that famous incident when Nancy Pelosi says. Uh, I don't like fossil fuels, but I like natural gas. I mean, so why in the world are they against natural gas? The, the reason the United States has reduced our carbon emissions and cleaned our air more than any other country in the world over the last 10 years is we keep transitioning to natural gas. And now they want to shut that down. By the way, if you if you shut off our LNG, which is liquefied natural gas, which we're exporting to uh, Europe, if we stop exporting that to Europe, guess where the Europeans are going to have to get their natural gas from? Russia. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Gee, that sounds like a smart thing. You know? Oh, yeah, that's going to be really good for the for for NATO and for the safety of the Europeans. I thought we were trying to get I thought we were trying to get Russia out of Ukraine. And now we're going to give them all this money because they can sell their natural gas at three times the price to the French and the Italians and the Spanish and the Germans. I mean, none of this makes any sense from a national security, environmental or economic standpoint, of course. Well, but 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 and by the way, Biden is doing this as a stop to his hard left green environmental movement. Those people are already with him. I mean, why, why is he right. throwing these guys a bone? Well, was he doing this as payback, though, to Governor Abbott for securing the border? Ah, pausing this. I mean, that's wow, a thought. You, are a, you know what you are? You're a conspiratorialist, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Crazy one, I too. Would never say such a thing. But look, I mean, who's going to suffer from this? We all are. We're going to pay higher prices for, for natural gas if they stop the production. And they, these are the same people who didn't want to build the build the pipelines. Um, you know, we're, we are going to I, I say this a lot and I say this in all seriousness, ladies and gentlemen. Get a generator. Get a generator for your home because these these people, as Dan was saying, they're serious as a heart attack. They are going to continually assault our energy supply. The lights are going to go out. The air conditioning is going to go out. You, you know, the uh, the electric power is going. To, we're going to have brownouts and blackouts in this country. You heard it first on the Dan and Amy show. So you better be prepared for this because these people are nuts. So. Uh, on the um, uh, inflation or shrinkflation, as uh, the big guy called it uh, the other day on the trail in South yeah. Carolina, shrinkflation. And he mentioned, did you see the thing about the Snickers bars, which is his way of trying to communicate? It's like, uh, what are you trying to say? Uh, it's his way of trying to communicate. There was a New York Times op-ed by uh, an economist from UBS that talked about how people – receive inflation based on the purchases they make. This, I mean, Biden couldn't explain this, so I'll explain it for him. Maybe you saw it, Steve. But essentially the argument goes uh, the inflation is coming down for some big-ticket items, like, for example, a high-end TV, and the, this is from the op-ed. With $1,500, a consumer could buy a high-end 55-inch television. Um, but because items in the consumer price basket are weighted by how much money consumers spend on the item in a year, television prices are more important than Snickers bars in the calculation of inflation. So the the, the Snickers bar that goes from a dollar to a dollar twenty five, you feel uh, more immediately. And he makes he concedes sort of an obvious point. Food prices still going up. Consumer electronics, furniture coming down. Um, and so inflation is not the, the top line is to say inflation is not as bad as you think. And it's getting it's coming under control and it's not that bad. Of course, he doesn't um, 
uh, offer the obvious observation that you can't consume a high-end television like the way you need to consume groceries. So that becomes a bit of a political problem for Biden. But the, the argument is people just don't understand. It's, inflation is coming down. Food prices are still a problem, but it's all going to work out. The market's up. Don't worry about it. Yeah, look, inflation has come down. But uh, in fact, we have an item in our hotline today that shows if you look at the cloudy index, it's rising again. I, I think we're actually starting to see a resumption of inflation. And the bottom line is that everything that you buy is 18.6 percent more expensive on average than it was when Biden came into office. Now, if you if your income has gone up by 18.6 percent over the last three years, raise your hand, because most of the people uh, have not seen that. So it's very simple. Why are people so uh, against Bidenomics? Because the average American is poorer today in terms of what you can buy with your paycheck than they were three years ago. And, Amy, that's the reason people are using their credit card more and yep. more and not being able to pay the balance on the credit card. Because, I mean, you you tell me all the time, you go to the grocery store and you get a sticker shock. You go to the gas pump, you get sticker shock. Try buying an airline ticket, by the way. It's unbelievable Ooh. how much things cost. Yeah. it's uh, And then people are using their credit cards at, at uh, grocery stores, which I've never seen before. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I mean, um, uh, you've got a situation now where I think, and this is, I, maybe I'm going to sound like a conspiratorialist. I, here's what I think the grand plan is. The American people think that uh, when Joe Biden, if he were to get reelected, that he's going to forgive people on their consumer credit card debt. Oh, no chance. That's, I, I mean, well, to buy votes, maybe. <laughs> no way. Well, how does that make any less sense than? No, that's true. I mean, that's a fair loan. point, I guess. But yeah, that's a fair. I mean, yeah, I shouldn't be and, so and you quick. Know what? By the way, I think he's also going to forgive people for their mortgages that they can't pay. <laughs> yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound, I suppose, right? Um, hey, uh, b- by the way, some good news. Uh, UPS is cutting twelve thousand jobs, and I say that uh, sarcastically. It's good news, but isn't that what Jay Powell wants? You know, you, the, you want people <laughs> laid off so we can cool inflation. Yeah, right. Exactly. If nobody were working in this country, we wouldn't have any inflation at all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It'd be Xanadu. That's what we got to get people separated from their jobs. Then we're really going to be cooking with, and not with natural gas either, of course. Yeah. Uh, now, Steve, Dan, I, I know we're yeah. running out of time, but I want you and Amy to call all your friends on the North Shore and tell them, do the Christian thing, open up your home. I mean, a lot of these people, the kids have left home. They've got the bedrooms that are available, and Mm -hmm. the migrants are here. And if you voted for (laughs) Joe Biden, you have a moral responsibility to let the migrants in. You lost them at Christian. But, uh, yeah, we'll pass the word. Uh, Steve Moore, economist, Godzilla author, thanks thanks for joining us, Steve. Appreciate it. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM560. The answer. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So updating that uh, video from J6 that was obtained by Kentucky Republican Congressman Tom Massey and given to Revolver News' Darren Beatty, who uh, posted it and uh, discussed it with Tucker Carlson a couple weeks ago. This is uh, those pipe bombs that were allegedly 
planted near the RNC and the DNC on January 6th. And the video, of course, is the pipe bomb near the DNC being discovered by somebody. And then that somebody telling uh, Secret Service and Metro DC Metro Police, who were stationed right out the DNC because outside the DNC, because Kamala Harris, the VP elect at the time, was there, telling them about it. But then there's no evasive action taken, mm-hmm. and people are milling about, mm-hmm. taking pictures. Kids yeah. are walking across the street. So, who was the guy that noticed? Noticed in quotation marks. You know, it's questionable. Notice the pipe bomb by this bench not far from the entrance to the DNC and where these uh, where Secret Service and Metro Police were stationed. Uh, wasn't sure that with the initial reporting, I think it was the blaze. Uh, he was um, um, plainclothes, either Metro Police or Capitol Police. Well, Tom Massey has an update on it because he talked to Capitol Police and he was on with Matt Gates on Gates's podcast and he had this to offer. Did, uh, Representative Massey. The person who found the pipe bomb, the person who, D'Antuano, who was leading the investigation, say, oh yeah, the person who found it, it'd be investigation 101 that they would be a suspect initially until ruled out. You're saying that person was an undercover, plainclothes Capitol Police officer, and the Capitol Police confirmed that to you today? They confirmed that to me today, yes. All right, so he was an, uh, plainclothes Capitol Police officer who discovered the pipe bomb. And the timing of this discovery is something that Massey and Gates kicked around as well because uh, the pipe bomb is discovered. They set up a perimeter which uh, took resources away from the Capitol in terms of the bike fencing they were going to put up and personnel and made the Capitol more accessible to the masses. Take a listen. I don't know who did it, but I can tell you a consequence of this, because this is buried in the back of the January 6th committee report that um, there was a call to bring more bike racks to the Capitol. They had hundreds of them loaded up, ready to bring to the Capitol, to reinforce the Capitol. And it turns out those never made it because this DNC pipe bomb was discovered and they set up a perimeter and blocked them from coming. So So if there was a booby trap intended to um, have people commit a technical violation of federal criminal law with no intent to break the law, uh, that was facilitated perhaps by the very interestingly timed discovery of these two devices. Yeah, whether there was intent or not, the the result of this, according to the January 6th committee, was that um, it made it easier to breach the Capitol because the reinforcements couldn't be brought to the Capitol. For more on this and uh, a couple of other matters, we're pleased to be joined again by Julie Kelly. You can get uh, her writings and reportings at uh, her Substack, Declassify with Julie Kelly. Also, pick up her book, January 6th, how Democrats use the Capitol protest to launch a war on terror against the political right. Julie, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me on. What, what's your reaction to uh, that uh, back and forth that Massey had with Gates on sort of the, the, the latest and greatest on the pipe bombs? I mean, this just amplifies what Darren Beatty at Revolver has been reporting. I've been reporting about the pipe bomb as well for the past few years and the suspicious circumstances surrounding not just the pipe bomb that was found at the DNC 
where we later found out a year later that Kamala Harris had gone there for some strange reason. But about 20 minutes or 30 minutes before that, uh, a device allegedly was found outside or near the headquarters of the Republican National Committee. And the individual who found that also is highly suspicious. Her name is Carlin Younger. She was a contractor for the Commerce Department working for a law enforcement private-public partnership that had just received a $92 million grant from the FBI in December of 2020. So this whole thing looks, again, like a hoax. And the fact that you have Stephen D'Antuano, who was the head of the Washington FBI field office, who made the pipe bomb, you know, scandal a big part of his initial investigation. But now more than three years later, the FBI doesn't have the identity of the alleged pipe bomber. And D'Antuano told a House committee that, you know, it the investigation got too complicated, too granular. He really wasn't paying that much attention to it. Oh, and by the way, the cell phone data that they think might be attached to the alleged pipe bomber, he thinks was corrupted. So they can't ID who that person was that they said the night before planted those devices outside both of the headquarters. And and the pipe bombs were duds, right? right. Even though they, they initially, fail. even though they initially reported that they were not, and it was not ATF that took possession, but it was the FBI that took possession. The, the, the pipe bombs went to Quantico. Um, so they, they had them. They said they were live, but they turned out not to be live, right? That's exactly right, and that's something that Stephen D'Antuano also said, that these were viable devices, that they were potentially deadly. And here you have a sitting U.S. senator who was about to become the first female vice president Again, inexplicably left the Capitol at about 1125. I have a whole report on this in my substack. And she's still at the DNC headquarters after the joint session started at 1 o'clock. And the Secret Service and Metro Police, her security detail, missed this device, which, by the way, it wasn't, you know, buried somewhere right. outside. No. It was propped up on, like, a bunch of dead leaves between two benches. Yeah, but so there how was, was no... that missed? Yeah, there was no sense of urgency. I mean, they walked by it. Some guy took a picture. They let kids walk by it. And an assassination, assassination attempt on a, you know, a VP elect is pretty big news. And did she, I mean, why did this never come out before? Well, and to your point, too, Julie, they, met, they, they don't sweep 10 feet away from where they are and, and find this thing. That's right. And why has Kamala Harris never spoken about right. her near-death experience at the DNC? Furthermore, the DOJ lied about it for a year in charging documents against G6ers saying that the Capitol grounds was off limits because Kamala Harris, a Secret Service protectee at the time, was at the Capitol rendering the entire grounds then a restricted area, which, of course, no one knew at the time. DOJ lied about it as well. And it wasn't until Politico report at the end of 2021. Oh, by the way, she wasn't there. She was at the DNC. She's never mentioned it. No reporter has ever asked her about it. You would think that the fact that a white supremacist MAGA bomber almost took out Kamala Harris would be a huge international right. crisis. And that but she would use it in her re-election campaign. I mean, of all of the things we've heard about January 6th, two years of a select committee, Merrick Garland and Joe Biden saying this is the darkest day comparable to the Civil War, but you leave out the fact that 
a MAGA bomber almost killed Kamala Harris. Come on, none of this adds up. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to get to a piece you wrote over at RealClearInvestigations.com as well. I mean, I love the, the dot connecting here, um, talking about Washington power couples. One in particular, uh, a name that uh, has uh, bubbled up to the surface because she sits on the D.C. Court of Appeals, and she's uh, she had that exchange with Trump's lawyer on the issue of whether or not Trump has immunity uh, and is, is immune from uh, prosecutions being brought against him by uh, Jack Smith in D.C. Uh, her name is Florence Pan. She's the one who had the exchange with Trump's lawyer where she said, well, if an official act is immune from prosecution, uh, short of impeachment, then could the president uh, can direct SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a, a political opponent? And that was the big headline from the oral arguments. Anyway, uh, so that's Florence Pan. Florence Pan and her husband, though, I mean, the... The tentacles. This is this is really great. Her husband is a guy named Max Steyer. Tell us about Max Steyer and Florence Pan and this lovely Beltway couple. Yeah, so here's another power couple in cahoots to make Trump and his associates make their lives miserable, use their power to destroy him. So Max Steyer runs a Democratic Party-connected nonprofit, uh, he's working with the Biden administration to put in place um, pre- these prevention, preventive measures that if Trump wins, he's not going to be able to reform the civil service. And he's made this publicly known. And he's said a second Trump presidency would be a threat to democracy. This is Florence Pan, who's making judicial decisions related to Donald Trump and January 6th. This is her husband. Anyway, Max Steyer some of you may know, is a Kavanaugh accuser. He piled on to the Brett Kavanaugh <laughs> oh my right, character assassination. He claimed that he saw Brett Kavanaugh engaged in lewd behavior when they were freshmen at Yale. He contacted the FBI. He contacted his buddies and Democratic senators to tell them about this. So he, this was publicly known. It's been written in books. There was just a documentary about the Kavanaugh uh, scandal that was uh, that was premiered at the Sundance Film Festival last year. Max Dyer was part of that, and here he is married to Florence Pan, who will author the decision at the appellate level that will uphold the district court, Tanya Chutkin, an Obama appointee, for the first time that will decide a sitting a, a former president is liable for criminal prosecution for his conduct in office that's who she is and that's who he is so when do we find out that e Jean carroll is max steyer's aunt <laughs> uh, you know I, I just this is just so right. i mean he's just right. he, no 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 there's no dots connected connect there's no conflicts of interest these are all you know dedicated patriotic americans who don't have any uh, political access to grind? No, of course not. We're supposed to take this all at face value, whatever they tell us, or whatever they put out in a press release, right? That's right. And Max Steyer had this big gala in October. His wife, Florence Pan, is there. Who's one of the speakers? <laughs> Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, who runs the <laughs> Department of Justice, who initiated both of criminal investigations into Donald Trump, who's still behind the scenes doing all the dirty work at the DOJ, longtime Obama loyalist. She's speaking at her husband's event, and Florence Pan is in the audience. She's already decided 
been the deciding vote on critical J6 issues that are now going to the Supreme Court. And then a few months later, she presents this ridiculous hypothetical um, about SEAL Team 6 and Trump ordering him to assassinate a political rival, what would happen? All is set up. They're all in oh, good. It's not a swamp. It's a trailer park. That's what I call these <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Ju- Julie Kelly, her uh, substack, Declassify with Julie Kelly, also her book, January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Julie, thanks as always. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. You too, and she joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM 560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Uh, Chronic absenteeism. Uh, absenteeism at school, K through 12, which is defined as missing at least 15 school days, it doubled during the uh, the lockdowns, and you know even after school resumed in person, and there were all the quote unquote mitigations. Um, absenteeism, and it persists to this day. one superintendent's well-documented if a student misses more than 10 days of school in a school year, there's market impact on their ability to remain caught up or even to catch up, given many gaps that we have in the educational experiences for students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Given the quality of the government schools, too. Uh, but this is uh, something, again, that uh, persists. So what did we do uh, putting this in the rearview mirror? Let's just... Uh, you know, agree that uh, fog of war, some stakes were made and maybe we could have done this and maybe we could have done that. But let's just all follow Travis Kelsey's lead, get your booster, focus on Taylor Swift and move on. No, not going to. Nope. Nope. Never, never, uh, never. No amnesty. And you have to continue to uh, have conversations about the information that is being presented the ongoing impacts so that people are properly chastened the people that need to be properly chastened or the people that need to understand how they were buffaloed or gave way to hysteria so that there is not the madness associated with the next crisis public health or otherwise at least that's my view on it uh, for more on uh, the topic and uh, Again, uh, the uh, rolling assessment of the damage done. Pleased to be joined again by Dr. Joel Zinberg, Competitive Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Director of Public Health and American and uh, the American Wellbeing Initiative at Paragon Health Institute as well. Dr. Zinberg, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So uh, we've heard some pronouncements uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, closed door testimony from Fauci. Uh, Francis Collins video surfacing from uh, a talk he gave at uh, at an event in Minnesota over the summer where there's sort of kind of like not really mea culpas, but sort of like here's what we were focused on and we weren't focused on everything that other people wanted us focused on and some things sort of, uh, you know, uh, slip past the goalie. Uh, so, you know, uh, we did the best we could. Our intentions and motivations were pure. 
and I can understand why some people are asking questions after the fact about some of the decisions that were made. But, uh, you know, hey, live and learn. Well, it's, it's a little worse than live and learn. I mean, what, what's come out from the congressional testimony is that they, much of the science, so-called science, that they were uh, imploring everyone in the country to follow was pulled out of thin air. You know, things like the six-foot social distancing uh, measures were made up. There was no scientific evidence for that. The stuff about the masks, which... Uh, Fauci flip-flopped all over the place throughout the pandemic, uh, had no scientific basis, uh, and it was known at the outset of the pandemic that, that there was no real basis for generalized masking, was imposed without evidence. Even the vaccine mandates, which Fauci has published in scientific journals, they had reason to think that the this vaccine would have limited effectiveness in stopping transmission, and even then only for a short period of time. Uh, didn't deter Fauci and, and his colleagues from pushing for mandates for years into the uh, pandemic. And and this all resulted in stuff like the school closures you were talking about, it, which is going to impact the lives of, of all of the children in this country, and particularly children who are disadvantaged and most vulnerable. And I mean, and, and this doesn't even get into um, the all the the spend and the continued spend and 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 sort of the re- the ongoing repurposing of the spend, the money that was printed and distributed uh, willy nilly. Um, we, we, we were we're having covid funds uh, redirected by big city mayors to uh, uh, deal with uh, migrants uh, like in Chicago, as we know here. So, I mean, this, this of course, was never envisioned, but this is the point that people were making. Money is fungible. Once it's gone, it's gone. This sort of oversight. How, how, does, a, how does the mayor of Chicago decide to repurpose COVID funds for uh, something other than COVID-related when rather than return it to the federal government? Well, that's how we do things. I mean, that's a whole other aspect of it, too. And that also includes how we fund these public health agencies who then turn around and fund, well, God knows what, I don't know, the Wuhan Virology Lab. Well, look, you know, you know anytime the government gets involved in, in funding, uh, there's always the potential uh, and, in fact, probably the certitude of fraud. Uh, and that's what happened here. They were shoveling hundreds of billions of dollars out the door with very little oversight. Uh, and as you say, there, there was no requirement that they spend this on COVID-related things, and the money's still laying around. The uh, government refuses to ask for the money back. So, of course, the local groups are going to spend it on whatever's convenient to spend it on. But now we don't trust the government, I mean, especially when it comes wow. to vaccines. Well, and they keep pushing, you know, pregnant women should get this RSV vaccine if you want to help your child. I mean, were there any case studies even done on that particular vaccine? Well, a lot of the a lot of vaccines and, and other medications are, are barely tested in pregnant women or, or in pediatric populations because it's very hard to do. So, you know, it, it, this is a, an ongoing problem. And it was certainly a problem with the covid vaccine that, you know, the vaccine was pushed for pediatric populations, even though there was little or no work done to study its safety it was really done primarily in adult populations. Uh, and, and it was this pushing of the vaccine on the pediatric populations and the insistence that kids get 
vaccinated before they're allowed back in school that exacerbated the problems that started with the lockdowns and the school closures. Kids were kept out of school, uh, you know, just destroying their educational prospects and disrupting the families who needed those kids in school. And now we're tasked with trying to uh, find home care and, and take care of their kids at home. Uh, and the uh, lack of transparency in the medical profession, both on the health insurance side as well as the hospital and, and even practitioner side, this has been a discussion recently with the uh, Select Committee on COVID, um, and we've seen publication of schedules from health insurers like Anthem, where if you uh, get X percent of our members vaccinated, you get this much. If you get X, the next level up, you get this much and so forth. And... Um, uh, exactly. One pediatrician who testified before that House Select Committee basically saying, you know, um, how do we go back to our patients and say, well, we did things maybe because of a carrot, maybe because of a stick that was being uh, brandished by our employer. And maybe some of the things that we did were not in our patients' best interests. Well, look, you know, the, the one Thing that has been shown to be true about these uh, COVID vaccines is they do lower the risk of serious illness and death if you are infected. The problem is that's not how they were promoted. They were promoted that they were going to stop the transmission. Fauci kept insisting that, you know, you're being irresponsible and unfair to people around you if you don't get vaccinated. He said it was going to stop you from getting infected and stop you from infecting the people around you. And, and he knew that wasn't true. And, and uh, he repeated that uh, falsehood over and over and over again uh, and is only sort of now coming clean about it. But, but, but don't we understand uh, uh, that the, the, uh, the risk of myocarditis in young men is greater than the risk of COVID for otherwise healthy young men, young boys? It's probably not, it's probably not greater, but I, I do agree with you that the, the risk of myocarditis in, in young men was downplayed. And also the fact that COVID poses very little risk to healthy young people, uh, that was also downplayed. So you left parents taken out of the loop. They no longer had the right to weigh that information and decide if their kids should be vaccinated or not. They were put in a position where the, the kids had to be vaccinated, otherwise they couldn't go to school. Right. So, yes, that you needed that information needed to be out there. Yeah. And, 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 and the, the uh, incentive structure for the healthcare industry needed to be out there, too, so I could take uh, that into account. Well, these guys are incentivized, or even at least ask the question. I mean, I understand that you're incentivized to get X percent of Anthem members vaccinated, but I want you to make a decision or tell me what your best uh, medical advice is based on my kid, not based on your compensation schedule. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, every every patient is different, uh, and that discussion needs to take place between their physician and the patient, or in the case of kids, the, the family of the uh, child, uh, and have a, a full discussion of, of what the risks and benefits of a particular treatment, whether it's a vaccine or anything else. Uh, and that was, you know, and to some extent, physicians were hampered here because, the, you know, Fauci, Collins at the NIH and, and others in the public health establishment were, were hiding a lot of this information. And any time anyone tried to put out 
contrary information, like uh, the folks at the, who published the Great Barrington Declaration, right. they were slapped down and they were suppressed. I mean, that's part of what we're, we've been learning from all these emails and freedom of information requests, that there were cons- you know, concerted efforts by the public health establishment to suppress any contrary points of view. And as it turned out, those points of view were basically correct. Well, what about all the elite athletes and then, you know, um, people that's perfectly healthy that just dropped out of a heart attack? Is that because we're focusing on that more and all of them were, we find out subsequently were vaccinated or is that, is, is that something real? I, I think that's more coincidence. I mean, you've had, unfortunately, you've had uh, elite athletes uh, dropping dead of, of a variety of things on, you know, in very public ways, even before we had COVID and COVID vaccines. So I, I don't think the two are related. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know either. Um, but but it would seem to me it would be um, interest. I mean, given the lack of trust that they generated it would be well, interesting look, yeah, that's that's the real casualty here well, you know we right. had over a million people die but at the you know one of the major casualties here of the pandemic is it's completely undermined the public's trust in in the public health establishment so that's that's why you know you the brand new covid vaccine that was introduced this past fall you have maybe 17 percent of the people in the country of adults in the country have taken it and and even in the the population that's most vulnerable, that would benefit the most from the vaccine, uh, where it's pretty uncontroversial that they should get it, the elderly, you only have about 42% of those folks getting vaccinated. And that's because no one trusts the public health establishment anymore. Yep. Well, right. So my, but yeah, exactly. And so um, perhaps that would lead one to say we should take steps to try to regain people's trust. And rather than shaming them, uh, or uh, using professional athletes in propaganda films for pharma companies, maybe we could propaganda ads. Maybe we should sit like, for example, this died suddenly. This is a thing. People have questions about it. Like Amy just asked. I have questions about it, too. It, it's not impossible to study the incidence of these high profile deaths and make some determinations as to cause, and then say, you know, it, it, people raise questions about this. There's all sorts of vaccine injury reporting on the VAR system. So we actually did look into this, and here's what we found, and we're going to produce, you know, produce our results for peer review and for public scrutiny. I mean, that might be like a good-faith effort to try to address a legitimate question people have because of the mistrust they, they uh, initiated. Look, I think the the biggest problem has been, as I think you mentioned, is the lack of transparency right from the get-go. So people were not told that there was any uncertainty. There was there were things were presented as proven. So first, Fauci was saying masks don't work. Then a, a month or two later, saying, "Oh, everyone should get masks, and, and cloth masks are as good as as surgical and N95 masks," which is nonsense. No study has ever shown or even suggested that. Um, and and then goes and then years later, then later on says, "Well, I was just promoting masks because I wanted to save them for public health workers." I mean, that those sorts of revelations undermine public confidence. Uh, and instead of just saying, look, we have a new disease, we're not sure, 
exactly how it's going to proceed. We think this will work. We're not sure. This is what we're suggesting, but the advice may change. A little humility, uh, and people could have, you know, the American public is not stupid. They, they would have understood that things are uncertain, but these guys insisted on maintaining control. They insisted that they had to be right, and they were willing to slap down anyone else who proposed an alternative point of view, scientific or otherwise. I mean, I've, I've written recently about, you know, the, the uh, folks like Fauci and Collins wouldn't allow other people in the Trump administration to try to advance arguments saying, hey, you know, these lockdowns are going to be pretty bad. You know, no matter what they do to health, they're going to destroy the economy, destroy people's livelihoods, they'll lead to other sources of death, uh, they'll destroy kids' education, which will have a lifetime impact on them. They weren't interested in those things. Um, you know, I, we, we, we have this conversation about a lot of the alphabet soup agencies in the federal government and state governments for that matter. But it's, just, it's the one about structure, whether it's FBI or CIA or DHS. Uh, what about uh, CDC? Are there structural changes that need to be made to make CDC more transparent, more responsive, more um, productive for the American people. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we have conversations going on all the time about uh, the future of the FBI. Seems after the performance during the pandemic, we should be ta- having the same conversation about CDC and NIH. Well, definitely about CDC. I mean, I wrote a report with my colleagues at the Paragon Health Institute and at the Competitive Enterprise Institute called Unauthorized and Unprepared. And we concluded that the CDC is concentrating on everything but its core mission. It's, it was created to combat infectious communicable diseases. And just 8% of its resources are devoted to that. It's talking about social justice, workplace injuries, hmm. uh, environmental issues, the climate change. And, and all those things made it unprepared for the pandemic. And when the pandemic arrived, they impaired its ability to respond. So I would tell everyone, look at that report and you'll see. And we, we suggest the CDC has to be refocused by Congress. And don't yeah. forget the CDC had a, a say in what members were when we you know, withdrew from Afghanistan. They had a say on who was getting on the plane. I thought that was a complete overreach of their agency. Well, well, I mean, it's the same old story, mission creep. It's the same old story in government. Uh, Dr. Joel Zinberg, Competitive Enterprise Institute Senior Fellow, Director of Public Health and American Wellbeing Initiative at Paragon Health Institute as well. The recent uh, piece he wrote, uh, which he was referencing, When Science is Not Science, you can check out at... uh, City Journal, the Manhattan Institute's publication. Dr. Zimberg, Actually, thank you. Actually, uh, the National Review. Oh, it was National Review? Oh, yeah. oh, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Oh. So check it out, nationalreview.com. Sorry, I got my outlets confused. Dr. Zimberg, thanks for uh, joining us again. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And he joined us on our turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.